Table Fred, I'm not going to put liquor into my cooking. One more? Mince meat without brandy? That's sacrilegious. Well, Grandma said you'd turn over in a grave. And besides, the judges like a snifter now and then. Don't forget that, Mother. I hate to admit it, Ma, but youth is right this time. If you're going to leave out something and you want to win the prize, you better leave out the mince meat. Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. This week, we watched State Fair from the 1932 and 1933 Academy Awards. I'm one of your hosts, Susan Raslin. I'm your other host, David Daw. And now we will discuss whether or not State Fair should have won the Academy Award instead of Cavalcade. I love the awkward and direct intro of announcing this is what we will do now, because that's the entirety of State Fair. <laughs> As a film, it's just it, it, three minute sequences of like, now People will judge pickles to the pickle judging competition. Let's go on a roller coaster. I like to stay on theme. Yeah. I don't think this one should have won Best Picture. We haven't seen the Best Picture winner yet. But my suspicion is, because this is not even the best one we've seen so far from this year, that it shouldn't win. Yeah, I I would agree with that. So you hated this movie a lot. I don't have any particular hatred for it but i'm i'm curious as to your feelings i came into it with a misunderstanding that this film would be two hours and 40 minutes long so when we got to the hour and 25 minute mark and i was like there cannot possibly be more movie and then there wasn't my impression of the film (laughs) improved a great deal yeah if this movie went on for an additional hour and 30 minutes or yeah an hour and a half yeah. After, I don't know, you were at probably like the five minutes to go mark when you texted me. <laughs> yeah. There's nowhere else that it could have gone. Well, yes. And so I assumed it was just like, oh, God, are we going to go to like next year's state fair? Like <laughs> to catch up on how all of our favorite characters from state fair are doing a year down the line. <laughs> So it wasn't that. And so a lot of my like pacing issues were just me not understanding how long the movie was. Fair. But I still don't love it because it still does pad out its runtime with just a shit ton of essentially infomercials for state fairs. Very, very quick summary of this movie, because it doesn't really require more than a quick summary, is that there's a family who goes to the state fair... The dad is raising a hog, a prize-winning hog. The mom makes pickles and also, I guess, a mincemeat pie, just as mincemeat, that she enters into a competition. Of course, they both win. And their daughter, Margie, falls in love with a reporter while they're at the state fair. And their son... The son falls in love with a trapeze artist. And then Margie comes home from the fair and, spoilers, decides that she doesn't actually want to stay with her boyfriend. She wants to be with the reporter. 
and then they like embrace in the rain and the movie is over. This is another like movie that irritates me so much because so little happens. Literally, there is a character that announces exactly what will happen for the entire rest of the film in the first three minutes, who just goes like, if that hog wins, a lot of unintended consequences and think and complications will ensue for your family. I'll bet you five dollars that that will happen. Yup. <laughs> That does happen, yes. I don't know. I feel like I'm like coming down from hating this movie to just kind of being bored by it. You know what I thought while I was watching this movie was when in 2018, the like coastal liberal elites talk about how they need to make entertainment for the middle of the country... That this is what they think that the middle of the country wants. I had this exact same feeling (laughs) of like, this is patronizing (laughs) to rural people in a way you can only be if you're trying to make art specifically for them. Right, exactly. It was like Hollywood's idea of Missouri. Yeah, well, it's even worse than that because I feel like Hollywood's idea of Missouri would somehow be less insulting than this, like, nothing in your life will ever be as exciting as the time you won a mincemeat pie competition and rode a roller coaster, you fucking hicks. (laughs) Like, that, like... If they were trying to be offensive, it actually weirdly would have been a fairer characterization, I feel like. So I'm from an actual city uh, in Tennessee, but we did have we did have a state fair, like the Tennessee County Fair or the whatever it was. And this was not it was not an inaccurate representation of what a fair is like, I guess, except that like I never traveled to it because it was in my town, so I didn't stay for a week and then randomly fall in love with a reporter. But it's pretty spot on that like all you do is like walk around and there are games and you ride rides. Uh, but I have to say, like, this state fair mm-hmm. was on the ride front way more impressive than any state fair that I've been to. Like, they basically had the cyclone at this state fair. We never had a roller coaster. Not like a real one. Oh, yeah, no, you have the, like, you have those shitty roller coasters that they put up in, like, a, a day and a half that go, like, 40 feet up that also only go, like, a half a city block. Right, right. It did seem, like, weirdly, like, propaganda for state fairs for a lot of the runtime. It totally felt that way. Like, you'll get to play games, and you'll get to ride rides, and there will be contests for animals. And, like, yeah, okay, that is definitely what happens at a state fair. I really felt like the way that the daughter Margie meets the reporter whose name I can't remember. Yeah, me neither. Pat. Pat? Probably. His name is Pat. (laughs) <laughs> Pat seems correct. Yeah. So the way that she meets Pat is she goes to ride the roller coaster and there's one seat left next to him because he has he didn't have anybody that he was with. And they have pretty impressive, I guess, for the time. Like, we put a camera on the back of a roller coaster and then just actually had the roller coaster go. And I feel like that was 100% of the reason to make this movie is they were, they were like, we could do that. We could totally put a camera on a roller coaster to the point where they do it twice. They do do it twice, but they do that with, like, literally every part of the state fair. Like, there's so much, like, you are there shit about, like, feel what it's like, the mouthfeel of these pickles that are being judged. They have all of these long sequences of, like, get every single moment of what it is like to go do this thing at a state fair. So the state fair is, like, is fairly well represented slash propagandized. 
But the love story in here, to me, well, the love story between Margie and Pat. Are you serious? You you totally want me to buy that in one week they've fallen desperately in love? And I feel like they tell each other they love each other the second night. Oh, yes. That they hang out. Yeah. Right? Because I, I actually ended up watching the movie, most of the movie twice, because I felt like I had missed something there. And it's not that long. So if you go back like an hour you just end up watching the rest of it yeah but this is like fucking romeo and juliet like they just meet and and it's like yeah instantaneous love boom and i'm supposed to buy this i mean the weird thing is that is still better drawn than the son's love story where a trapeze artist falls in love with him because he's so monomaniacally obsessed with fucking over a carny like the the like all he does is like that's true she does say that she loves him yeah and like just instantly falls in love with him she says explicitly just from seeing him be really good at throwing rings at a rigged carnival game because the guy who runs the carnival game made fun of him at the previous state fair. Not even just that he made fun of him, but like the prize that he won wasn't a real pearl-handled revolver and I'm like Bro, it's a carnival. Yeah. Like, come on. And so he then set up a fake carnival game in his barn and practiced every night for a year to destroy this man, which is like some real like Korean revenge drama shit. (laughs) Yeah, I totally would watch that. (laughs) That revenge drama. What's amazing to me is that she's like, Oh, that made me fall totally in love with you. And it's like, that's her co-worker. Yeah. <laughs> they both work at the fair. What happened to, like, Carney Solidarity? And for a, like, completely guileless man-child. <laughs> so many times in this movie, the son has, like, these exchanges where he thinks he's gotten the upper hand and is, in fact, an idiot. <laughs> My favorite one of those is when uh, his love interest introduces herself saying that she's the son of a, a police investigator or something. Which somehow the ring toss guy doesn't already know. Right? Even though they work together. But then later on, the ring toss guy and the son are standing next to each other watching her do her trapeze act. And the ring toss guy just kind of to raz the person that's, you know, fucked with his livelihood goes like, you better watch out, she's the daughter of a police inspector. And the son proudly goes like, no, she isn't. And it's like, yeah, I, yeah, dude, that was the joke. We're both aware she isn't. We're looking at a, we're looking at her do a trapeze act. Which is not to say that even though you're a trapeze artist, your dad couldn't be a police inspector just that, I, yeah. no, actually, I, I feel like in, in the 1930s, that's, yeah, that totally precludes <laughs> your dad being a police inspector. Yeah, or I feel like you at least know, like, boy, something more than just her being a random visitor to the state fair is going on here by this point. Yeah, like, her dad might be a police inspector, but she ran away to join the carnival. But yes, I do agree that, like, it is weird how quickly Margie falls in love with this reporter Especially because, like, the reasoning she gives for not running away with him is solid. They've known each other for three days total. He confesses he has slept around a lot. 
their marriage does not work with his job at all. And all of these were like, when I thought there was another hour left in the movie, we're like, these are really good points to bring up. I bet he's going to have to do a lot of work to convince her those things aren't true. Nope. Inaccurate. (laughs) That will not in any way impact them getting together. All he has to do is call her while her boyfriend, who she like basically has agreed to marry before she went to the fair, except for she was like, well, I want to have some say in how this marriage works out, which like seems pretty legit, but also like she's planning to marry this guy. You don't say like, we need to have a discussion about what that means unless you're serious. Yeah. And like, there's this thing where in his one scene with the, with her very early in the movie, He's kind of a jerk and kind of decides things for her and does all these Baxter type moves, except then the reporter does the exact same shit. Like he negs her the moment they meet. He like spends all of his time condescending to her about how she's from this small town. Everything that is shitty about her fiance is also shitty about this reporter. And the movie's just like, "Mm, yeah, but she's bored with her, like, guy she's agreed to marry. So it's for the best. I kept thinking about the guy in Smiling Through, the Baxter character in Smiling Through, and how, like, This guy did not seem nearly as bad as that dude at the beginning. Yeah, no. I mean, he definitely doesn't, like, murder people. Wait, did the Baxter murder somebody in Smiling Through? Oh, I'm thinking of the, like, historical Baxter, who then goes on an alcohol-fueled rage. But no, the narrative present Baxter, you're right, just kind of huffs about how... (laughs) How everyone's illegally drinking alcohol. Yeah, I mean, he's he's no fun, but, like, the other guy seems to be, like, he's a little goofy or whatever, but he seems like an upbeat, alright guy, and it's totally fine to not want to marry a guy just because he's fine. I just did not get the impression that she was, like, in any way unhappy with her life. I guess that's really what gets to me, is that... For her to have fallen so hard so fast for somebody who's like, I want to live in Chicago and be a real reporter. And she's like, yeah, okay, I'll throw away my whole life. I did not get any sense of... Well, first of all, she seems so young. Yes. Like, Janet Gator apparently was aging backward because she does not seem to be 30 minutes older than she was in Seventh Heaven, which came out six years before this. Yes. She, if anything, like, looks underage in this movie. (laughs) She looks like 18. If that, I would totally have bought 16. Yes. And, like, the other thing that's weird is they do almost set that up. Like, in Act 1, it does seem like she's not satisfied with this life on the farm. She wants to be doing bigger things and going bigger places. But then when that is explicitly offered to her, she's like, no, I could never do that. Live in Chicago? They would just make fun of me all the time. I would have a terrible time. I want to live here on a farm and have babies. (laughs) Which is, like, bonkers because she was upset with her mom who wanted her to do exactly that in act one i don't know if we were supposed to read that as like she has just been so indoctrinated by her mom to think that she's not able to do anything else but i never felt like her mom was that overbearing no the mom like just goes like you should do this thing and then pays literally no attention to her children 
The son's cover story, by the way, is so bad that the dad just explicitly is like, you're sleeping with another man. I get it. It's fine. (laughs) And both the parents just kind of shrug because like that's that's the level of interest and engagement they have with the decisions their children make. Or maybe they're more comfortable with him, the idea of him sleeping with another man than that he might knock up a random woman at the carnival. Trapeze artist. Yeah, I guess it just is another just like, boy, this son can't do anything right except throw rings at a, at a carnival game moment where he just goes like, I'm going to go meet my friend. Again, you know, my my guy friend I've been meeting for the whole carnival. Uh, and uh, this time, mom and dad, I think probably I'll just stay out all night, 100% of the night and not come back here to sleep. And the dad is like, okay, well, have fun sleeping with your male friend that clearly is more than just a friend. The way he introduces it, too, is like, yeah, I met this, this fellow last year and we promised we'd meet each other at the the midway at this time when the fair came back around and i'm like no one does that yeah like maybe when you're 10 but not when you're like 22 yeah as a cover story it's just poorly thought out on every level can we also talk a little bit about the weird horny pig plot line (laughs) yes Oh, um, I was wondering how to introduce that, but just just jump right in. Like, again, uh, from thinking this movie was an hour longer than it was, I came into it with a different perspective of like, oh, there's got to be some stuff we can cut here. And boy, is there. But the main thing that is just weird is that the whole plot line with the prize winning pig is that the dad thinks it's sick because it's lethargic when they get to the state fair. Until this other pig shows up. And then, boy, does that pig get excited at the other pig. And there's like a full minute of dialogue between these two pigs when they meet. Like, they keep cutting back and forth between the two pigs. And, like, they go like... (laughs) (laughs) For, like, a solid minute. Yeah, and it's, like, really tight close-up on just the pig. Yeah. Then at the last minute, he gets like depressed again because the other pig goes away and then it comes back and he gets excited again. And that's how he wins. And like solid 10 minutes of this movie is spent on this arc. Not only that is how he wins, but after he wins and they like, I guess, just let the pig loose. They don't show it, but it is definitely a strongly implied by people yelling at the pig and being like, Old Blue, Old Blue, which is the pig's name, that the pig just, like, ran off to go bang the the sow. Yeah. Um. (laughs) Which, like, pre-code, so I guess you can't show the pig humping the other pig. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Actually, because it's pre-code, what it looks like, it looks like he's fighting that pig, and so I had this moment of, like, was this plotline completely different than the plotline I thought it was for the whole time? Was that like a guy pig and their rivals for a third pig that I didn't catch? Like, what's going on? Nope. He's just trying to bang that pig. Yeah. That was one of several great moments in sound design in this film. 
along with the sequence I'm sure you loved of all of the lip smacking sounds at the mincemeat and pickle judging ceremony. Oh my god, it made me want to set myself on fire just to make it end. Yes, and also the really over-the-top loudspeaker filter they put on all the loudspeaker announcements that are like, Please cancel the pig judging ceremony immediately for judging the pigs. What was great is that they put that filter on to the point where almost everything was indistinguishable, but then they had whatever characters were on screen be like, oh, it's time to go to the mincemeat pie competition over here near the whatever. And you're like, you know, you... you You could have just not put that filter on. Oh, this isn't a sound design thing. But did you also love the congressman's speech as much as I loved the congressman's speech? Oh, man. And what was with the congressman being like some sort of weird German dude? Well, that's the thing. It really made me appreciate because you have all of these like great moments in 19th century oratory. And this movie made me realize like, Oh, that, like, voice, the, like, stentorian 19th century politician thing? They had to do that for everything. They didn't just do that for the Gettysburg Address. They had to do that for, like, and now the new Arby's that we are opening up. (laughs) Like, and, and that's what this speech is, is, like, that Lincoln-esque... Hello, welcome. We must talk about the matters of the day. But for, like, we've seen a lot of great boars and hogs this evening. He says boars, like, 14 times, which I love because it, like, is... Because they're not boars, they're pigs. (laughs) Yes. It's another, like, weirdly insulting moment of, like, now I know everyone is more excited about this than they've been about anything, including the war. Nothing in the world is more important to you yokels than this pig judging competition. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, speaking of the various competitions, one of my favorite, like, offhanded side plots is that the mom is like, I am not putting any booze in my cooking. And then she looks at the recipe for a mincemeat and it says, like, you know, put a bunch of brandy in it. And, uh... Then she, like, secretly puts the brandy in. And later on, the dad, the next day after the mincemeat competition, he's reading the paper and he's like, oh, it's a real shame what happened to that mincemeat judge. And she says, well, you know, what happened to him? And the dad says, oh, it looks like he suffered a case of, like, low-key delirium tremens. (laughs) And then finally she's like, well... But I put booze in the in the mincemeat. I did it. So he couldn't have suffered from the DTs on her account because she did put alcohol in it. Yeah. It it is very Which I guess he knows all along, or he's just teasing her for not putting booze in it. I wasn't really clear on that. That's the thing is I thought he was punking her, and then it like came back and he like had the paper again and she believed him. In this way where it's like, I thought he was teasing her and she was just like, oh, shut up. And then later on, she's like really gravely concerned about the delirium tremens of this judge that I had assumed was not a thing. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's just teasing her because she never does read the paper. She just listens to him. 
Speaking of the paper, when Pat introduces himself as writing for whatever the paper is, and he says, it's a Republican paper, but don't hold that against, you know, those of us who write for it. And I was like, okay, this is the one part that is not for contemporary middle America. Also, in that introductory bit where he's going through, surely you've read some of my stories, he kind of is casually like, oh, you know, the prize winning turn up competition, you know, what everyone's saying about uh, the next year's state Congress. My interview with Mussolini, <laughs> one of these things is definitely for sure not like the others, and it never comes up again. I thought it was a joke, but there's then a fourth thing, so it's not like a comedy rule of threes bit. Well, and also, he's like, oh, I want to start writing real stories, and I'm like, other than interviewing fucking Mussolini? Like, that seems like a pretty legit yeah newspaper job. Can we also talk about the, because we're just going to talk about random things, because there is no plot to this film. Well, there is, we just already went over it. <laughs> right, exactly, in 12 seconds. Can we talk about the weird transcendental philosophy runner in this film? Where just, like, weirdly people will just suddenly quote Emerson? And, like, several people. The guy at the very beginning, but then also the newspaper man just out of nowhere. After the mom wins the mincemeat competition, the daughter's like, yeah, she's really excited, but now she's tired. And the newspaper guy's like, yeah, we think achievement makes us happy, but it's actually relief. There is no happiness in this cold, dark world. <laughs> anyway, let's go on the wor the flying world. Like, the <laughs> it's very strange. I guess it's supposed to be like a, f a farm wisdom thing, but like it is, I don't know even what it is. No, I mean, he specifically attributes it to a philosopher. It's not even like, you know, down home common sense type of stuff. Right. And like the movie never seems to come down on whether it agrees with the grand philosophical stuff. Like this movie has a complicated relationship with like big city folk where like it will introduce big city folk characters just to fucking razz on them and dunk on them and then leave. But also it does genuinely seem to think that farm wisdom and, and the wisdom of rural life is fucking dumb. And that, like, you should go to the city because that's where the smart people are. There is definitely a representation of the people in the town, like you were saying, it's very insulting to them, of them being really backward, which is why, like, the carnival guy with the ring toss game could get one over on the brother the year before. Yeah. Yeah, but, but you sort of deserve this for thinking you were going to get a pearl-handled revolver from a ring toss game. Yeah. And... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, this movie made me tired. <laughs> I don't know that it made me tired. It just, at the end of it, the first time I was like, why does this movie exist? And the second time when I finished it, I was like, oh, it exists because they wanted to show that they could put a camera on a roller coaster. I will go more broadly like it exists because they wanted to like advertise how fun state fairs are. But that's still pretty weird. Is there like a state fair lobby though? I have to imagine there is because like they remake this movie like four times. I feel like there has to have been some kind of a like... It's based on a novel... Though in the novel, apparently Margie and Pat, like, do it. I'm reading that now. Which I kind of thought, like, that was gonna happen. And Margie and Pat don't stay together in the novel, which would actually have made it a lot more poignant. Yeah. 
that actually is way, way better. Because it does give kind of more of a sense of like, this can be just disruptive and not like great. Which was the whole thing that the guy said in the first place was that like something bad's going to happen if that pig wins. And then it turns out that like nothing bad actually happens. But if it was that, you know, you go to the state fair and it's this whole fantasy and you like lose yourself in the magic of it. And then you come home and it's like, okay, life is back to normal and is boring and sucks. Like there's something that's actually very moving if sad about it. Which also makes the placement of the, like, random bits of philosophy make more sense. Yeah, now that I know there's, like, a novel where the whole thing actually has this kind of poignant, semi-tragic ending, it makes a whole lot more sense to me as a film and not an advertisement for state fairs, which is what it comes off as with this version of it. There is this weird thing where they, like, set up, like, if you go to the state fair, X, Y, and Z will happen, and nothing will ever be the same. And X, Y, and Z then does happen, but then everybody's just fine. Like, it's it, none, of, none of that was actually bad. The end. So apparently the end of the book is that the dad collects the money from the guy who made him the bet since Blue Boy, the pig, not Big Blue, wins the prize, and, like, the whole family had a good time. But then he looks at Wayne and Margie and he feels sure that his prediction came true and something, quote, worse than anything you can think of, end quote, happened at the fair without the dad's knowledge. That actually makes his character make any kind of sense. This book sounds way better than this movie. But also sad. But also like, that's a thing that happens, you know? Yeah. Sometimes you pick the person that you're not like passionately in love with because you prefer their values and their way of life. And like Margie doesn't want to go to New York or Chicago or whatever. She wants to stay down on the farm with the Baxter. God, they remade, they made this movie four times and they made it a stage musical. By Rodgers and Hammerstein. Heck. And then there was a, a sequel to the novel where the daughter and the reporter meet back up 20 years later and, like, do a before sunrise. <laughs> at, a, at another state fair? Please tell me it's like they meet back up at the state fair. Oh, they do. They meet back up oh, at the state yes! fair 20 years later. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I might actually read both of these novels. <laughs> I would watch that movie, actually. Because then you have that poignancy and it can still be an advertisement for state fairs because it's like the happy part of the arc. Apparently he very specifically wrote the sequel because he hated the Hollywood ending that's a happy ending. Yeah, fair. Knowing that there was an option, I also hate this ending. And I would love to see the Before Sunrise State Fair mashup. I, I would totally watch that. And since Janet Gator ages backward, I guess she would be like an infant at that point. <laughs> yeah, although I do I do want to say as a positive thing about this film, Janet Grainer is great. Again. She really is a fabulous actor. Yeah. Because I actually like gave a shit about her, even though I didn't care at all. like the whole story i was like why am i watching this movie this movie has it, it has nothing to say to me at all uh i she was just delightful to watch and he was good too the guy who played pat he was fine but you know mostly he was fine because he was on screen with her that kind of goes for everybody else everybody else is just like yeah they they do all right even well rogers everybody's just kind of like 
doing okay, except Janet Gaynor, who's great. Yeah, she's one of those actors who brings everybody up with her. Like, you know, there are really good actors who you see them on screen or on stage with somebody who's not as good, and the contrast becomes really, really apparent. And you're like, oh man, she's great, but all these other guys are fucking hacks. She's the opposite. She, like, brings the whole scene up. And I I love watching anybody who's like that. It has a weird effect in this film that totally isn't her fault, though, where, like, because all of her scenes with her family are, like, front-loaded, there's this thing where, like, all the other actors seem to get worse as the movie goes on because they stop being in scenes with Janet Gaynor. Her brother is really the one who stands out, though, as the worst. Like, yeah. Will Rogers is fine, but he's basically just playing, like, the mostly silent kind of ribbing dad. He is staring at a pig and and looking worried for the majority of this film. And there's only so much you can do with continue staring at the pig, continue to go, ah, shit shucks and he does fine with it but like there's not a lot for him to do when he's not staring at the pig he's like behind a paper and then her mom is just sort of a very harried older woman you know it's interesting and i think is like really emblematic of the way casting works in contemporary film is that when they were first on screen i thought that her mom was her grandmother because like Never in contemporary cinema do you have an older couple where, like, the mom looks the same age as the dad. Yeah. I- yes. Like, you can have schlubby dad, but you still have to have, like, totally put together, thin, goes to the gym, but, like, maybe just Pilates mom. (laughs) Yeah. And not like, oh, she's got gray hair, like, in a bun on top of her head and wrinkles. I did in the initial scene between her and Will Rogers, where she's, like, leaning out the window, I did think, like, oh, and then we'll cut to his wife, Janet Gaynor. <laughs> I wonder who's, right, like... Right, would I, completely be the, the contemporary way of doing that. Yeah. I wonder if, like, 90 years from now, when people are watching it, stuff that came out in, like, I don't know, the 90s forward, that they're like, wow, it was super weird and creepy how they kept casting women who were, like, basically the same age as the women playing their daughters. (laughs) Opposite 65-year-old Harrison Ford. Yup. But that is someone else's podcast. (laughs) Future, future uh, screen test of timers. I feel like they won't have to wait too long for creepy, not age-appropriate couple casting. Yeah, that's true. Like, what is the movie with uh, Humphrey Bogart where he met Lauren Bacall on set and she was like 17? The one where she says, you know how to whistle, don't you? You just pucker up your lips and blow. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember, but that is coming up. And he was like 40-something at the time? Yeah. That sounds right. So yeah, I guess we don't have to wait that long if that movie was nominated, which I assume that it was because Lauren Bacall and Humphrey Bogart. Right, one would think. But there have been weird blind spots already in the Academy's nomination process. So That's true. City Lights, for example. Yeah. To Have and Have Not, that's the name of it, which I don't think was nominated. Nope. Nope. Was not. Weird. Actually, it's not weird. I've seen that movie. It's not great. (laughs) Like, she's delightful. He's Humphrey Bogart, so, like, duh. 
but the plot is th- there isn't one and not just like in the way of a Hemingway novel where it, when you adapt it because it's written in a Hemingway style like there's not a lot to work with because it's short like there's no plot in that movie it was so confusing oh you know why it wasn't nominated hmm. it came out literally the year the academy went back to five nominees instead of ten that makes sense also casablanca came out the year before so they were probably kind of bogarted up and the maltese falcon was like two years before that so yeah so yeah state fair <laughs> right <laughs> let's go back to that movie <laughs> Now that we've completely exhausted talking about every other movie, we should talk about the movie that we're actually supposed to be discussing. Should we rate this film and then also say whether you should watch it or not? Yeah, I think we should do that. Um, Rating-wise, like, hmm. I'm going to knock off some points for there is very little representation of Black Americans in this, and none of them have speaking roles, but there is definitely, like, I don't know, like five minutes in, Will Rogers' character refers to a black farmhand as boy, which really made me mad. Right. I had forgotten that on purpose. And fair enough. And it was weird, too, because that happened and I was like, oh, God, is this going to be this movie? Like, is this going to be a thing where it's like Will Rogers, good family man, but also horrible to black people? Except that after that, they like really weren't. We never see that character again, ever. He literally has no line. He just like walks off. And it's kind of like, what was the point of that at all? Like, what did that tell me about his character? Except that, like, I don't know, Hollywood thought that Middle America would feel more comfortable if that happened? I get, yeah, I guess. It was very, it was weird in this way of, like, I kind of forgot it because I was in the same way, like, uh, and then he's going to be, like, the one, that the farmhand they bring to the state fair, and and then, like, no, we just nothing... There just are no more black people in the film for the rest of the movie. Well, that's not true. We do see a few of them setting up the fair, but we never actually see any of them working at the fair. Yes, that's accurate. The movie actually does a weirdly good job, now that I think about it, of like having them in crowd scenes. I mean, for like 1933. For like, given given on, on that curve. Right. So it is weird that, yeah, the one like time they call it out, it's to be just vaguely racist and then never have it come up again. Yeah, I mean, I guess vaguely racist for 1933, but I'm pretty sure referring to a grown man as boy because of the color of his skin is, like, legitimately straight-up racist. Yeah, I shouldn't be grading on a curve, especially for this. I mean, I guess I'm gonna give this movie, like, ah. So if, like, five is average... Yeah. I... I I'm kind. What what else was in this year? Oh, <laughs> uh, a lot of things we've given significantly less than a five to. Smiling three, we really liked. That's fair. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a four. I'm gonna say like below average, but but like nowhere near as bad as a farewell to arms or she done him wrong. Yeah, there is a plot. It's totally followable. It's super short and very simple and is padded out by pig and pie competitions, but there is a plot to be found. I, I'm going to agree with you. I was kind of waiting for you to take the lead on whether it should get a four or a five, um, but I think four is kind of where my heart is on this one. Is like It's not quite fine. <laughs> 
Um, it's almost just fine, and then not quite. And and Janet Gaynor is great, and, like, there's a part of me that wants to give it a higher score, because she really is wonderful, but, like, no one could save this movie from being just, like, why? (laughs) Why does this exist? Other than your suspicion that it was paid for by the State Farm Lobby. (laughs) I still think there was some kind of, like, joint financing venture. Like, they talked the Iowa State Fair out of a couple grand to make this movie or something. (laughs) They're only Wikipedia cited sources about how expensive this movie was to make. How expensive was it? Uh, they- that doesn't actually come up. It's just film costs hit both extremes- Poverty Rose spends less. Big studios. More. Million dollar features. Oh, actually, it, it does say in the Wikipedia article, it says it costs $600,000 to make this movie, which is amazing to me because both Janet Gaynor and Will Rogers are like massive stars at this point. But that's got to be... Let me look at some other budgets. That's more expensive than 42nd Street when we're about that we're about to watch. I guess it's kind of... I guess it's like mid-budget. Okay. All right, that makes sense. It is the most expensive film we are watching for the rest of this year, except Cavalcade, which cost almost twice as much. All right. So yeah, should people watch this movie? <sighs> I mean, if no. But like, if if you're forced to watch this movie, the people torturing you aren't doing a great job. <laughs> That's... That's, uh, that is amazing. (laughs) Like, if that's the, that's our new, our new metric. Like, is it, is it literally painful? Nah. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really see, I don't really see any reason that you need to watch this movie. Nope, I really don't. It apparently, it was super popular and people loved it, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, not, not my cup of tea. Yeah, it, it's fine. Almost. It's almost fine. Janet Gaynor is better than that. Most other things in the movie are a little bit worse. It, eh. Yeah, you can skip it. Though, you should know this incredible anecdote about the production of it, which is, at the end of filming, the producers offered Will Rogers the chance to buy Blue Boy, the pig, presumably to slaughter, and he declined, saying... Quote, I wouldn't feel right eating a fellow actor, end quote. <laughs> so that makes me like Will Rogers a little bit better. Yeah, that's that's a solid Will Rogers joke. Yep, it totally is. Moving on to next week, we will be watching 42nd Street, which is the first Busby Berkeley and the first Ginger Rogers film nominated for Best Picture. Uh, yeah, as I was telling you off mic last week, the screen caps on the Wikipedia page are, like, more cinematographically, boy, I can't speak, uh, compelling. Like, they're just more compelling than, like, any musical that we've watched so far. The three screen grabs. There is no way this movie is bad. Yeah, I, I mean, like, yeah, that's the kiss of death, but, like, yeah, there's no way, right? There's, like, it's 42nd Street. It's fucking Busby Berkeley. It's going to be great. So uh, tune in next week when we will hopefully have a whole lot to talk about and all of it positive. Yay. Uh, Until then. 
That was a movie. And we almost said it together, but then I blinked. So my apologies. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Poor Pom. What'll happen to him if Blue Boy doesn't win? You have to shoot him. Who, Blue Boy? No, your pa.